Tēnā koutou, no mai, hi to mai. Welcome to Q&A, I'm Jack Tame. Today, National says it's time to crack down on gangs. So I have a message for all get the gangs threatening New Zealanders. My government will not stand for it. Then we've got numbers for you that show a tighter race in the Tauranga by-election, plus a bit of a rowdy debate. Do you have faith that the, the voters of Tauranga would, would elect a competent council at this look. stage? <laughs> what has this government done <laughs> to actually reform the way we're, we're running it? I mean, they've delayed our okay, elections. Okay, 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 no, okay, answer okay, the question, answer yeah, the question. Yeah, yeah. Answer the question, bro. Story of my life. <laughs> and will he or won't he? The MP everyone in Wellington seems to think is running for mayor, even though he still hasn't announced it. That's the rumour. What's the rumour? That um, our man over there. We'll have that story for you shortly, but first, after several weeks of shootings and public violence, National is promising new laws, which it says will crack down on gangs. The laws would ban gang patches in public, ban some gang members from associating with each other and introduce firearms prohibition orders. Mark Mitchell is National's police spokesperson and is with us this morning. Kia ora, good morning. Good morning, Jack. What's the problem you're trying to solve? Well, I mean, the, the problem I think everyone can see that over the last four years uh, we've had a 40% increase in gang numbers. Um, they're better organised, they're better funded, they're more violent, they're carrying firearms and they're willing to use them. And I think um, wh wh where that's been highlighted most, is, for, especially for Auckland, is the last fortnight, is that we've seen 23 uh, drive-by shootings. And those are into houses that have got kids in them. Mm -hmm. um, how we haven't lost um, you know, an innocent member of the public or someone seriously injured through these drive-by shootings amazes me. And my biggest fear is that, uh, is that an innocent member of the public is going to be seriously injured or, or killed. So how would your law changes have prevented those drive-by shootings? So number one, we've given the police obviously the ability um, through this legislation if we're in government and we mm. can pass it. We're hoping the government does pick this up. We've said that we work with them um, to, mm. to pass it, to give the, the police the tools that they need. But the, the, gang on, uh, the ban on um, gang patches, quite simply this. If a gang member is wearing a gang patch, it's designed to mm. intimidate and strike fear into the community. Um, to wear one of those gang patches, they have to have committed uh, violence. They have to have a propensity for violence to actually earn the right to wear it. So we think that, they sh that we should remove that right. So, so how would... How would banning gang patches have stopped the drive-by shootings of the last few weeks? OK, so uh, let's take the whole suite of uh, policy as a whole. We move on to dispersal notices. What this allows is it allows the police... We've seen time and time again gang members taking over mm. public spaces, public roads, abusing members of the public, assaulting members of the public. We saw that awful case recently on mm. the Waikato Expressway where a man trying to get home to his family at 5 o'clock in the evening is assaulted by 60 gang members, uh, ends up in Waikato Hospital. Going to go back to the problem you identified, though, those drive-by shootings. So how would the dispersal notices or the ban on, ban on gang patches yep, have stopped those drive-by And so, and so we come to the non-consorting um, orders, which quite simply means that a, a gang member that is um, consorting with other gang members and organising these types of mm. things, because I can promise you... you that you're, just, you're just telling me about the proposals, but you're not telling yep. me how they would have stopped so, the violence. So, the, so the the uh, with the consorting, the, these drive-by shootings are organised. These right. gang members are talking with one another, they are planning them, and then they're executing them. So a non-consorting... So you think that someone who is prepared to fire a military-style, high-powered rifle into someone else's house in a drive-by shooting is going to stop that because police have issued them a notice saying don't hang out well, with your mates. Well, what the police can do is stop them talking to each other and organising it. That's, that's what they can do with the non-consorting orders. They, don't, they can't do that at the moment. They can do that. The last one, Jack, is our firearms uh, prohibition order. That allows police 
uh, with our warrantless, gives police a warrantless mm. search power that if you have a gang member that has an FPO against mm. them, they can stop them and search them at any time. So the firearms prohibition orders are being worked through Parliament by Labor at the moment, and it's fair to say that, 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 that those proposals have been worked through the legislative progress um, uh, process for a wee while now, so they're, take, they're taking a while, but yep. those laws are already in process. So again, I just want to know... How these shootings would have been well, prevented just, just by your Just very quickly laws. on those laws. No, 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 it's, no, no. no. It's Ask taken, my question, it, please. It's taken Labor four years to get that into the House. And by the way, that firearm prohibition order, Jack, is a toothless tiger. It doesn't have the search powers that the police need. And both us and the police association have been very clear that unless you give them a warrantless search power, it's going to be so ineffective in taking gangs off. Uh, guns uh, okay. off gang members. So uh, uh, the reason why I highlight that is because that's one of the most important tools that police can use in actually taking guns out of the hands. So of at the moment, if, if police have reason to believe that someone has an illegal gun, yep. they can search those people. That's how, that's how the law works at the moment. So the, I, I, I want to be really clear. No, they, they can't. They, they have to use the Search and Surveillance Act and they use Section 18 and that, that has got thresholds that they have to meet, which makes it very difficult for them to, for but example... But if they believe there is an illegal firearm, like, for example, a high-powered military-style rifle, which you believe has been used to shoot into these buildings over the last couple of weeks in these drive-by shootings, then police can search. So I want to know, no, that, how, how have you... Uh, yep. What, what of your proposals would have stopped the events of the last couple of weeks? And just detail it for so me. So our firearms prohibition order, let me put it in really simple terms. The bill currently coming through Parliament at the moment, mm. if, a, if police officers are out on patrol and they see two gang members and one of them's got a firearms prohibition order, they cannot stop and search them under the government's bill unless they meet a threshold under Section 18 of the Search and Surveillance Act. So did, what po we've did, said did police stop... The, before these drive-by shootings happened, did police stop those vehicles before no, they, they fired guns? The, they don't have the powers currently to be able right. to do that. That's the whole point. And that's, our bill quite simply does this. It means that if you take that scenario, those police officers can stop those gang members and they can search them. They can search the, the, mm. the, um, the vehicle and they can search them to actually take the uh, firearms off them. And they, they don't currently have that power. They have thresholds that they have to meet under the current mm. Section 18 of the Search and Surveillance Act. Mm. And we're saying the only threshold that needs to be met is an FPO, is a firearms prohibition order. That is a, that is a, a, right. it's a strong piece of legislation. It's a strong law that will actually give the police the ability to take guns out of the hands of gang And as I mentioned, Labor is pursuing its own FPO. There, is there are differences in the detail, but they are also pursuing well, it's a weak one. Law, it's a laws one. on that front. Right. Yeah. On what evidence are your proposals based? Well, we, we've done a lot of research around the country. We've been working mm. on... I, me, personally, I picked up the great work that Simeon Brown had already done in this space, and we've been working on this for the last six months. We've looked at Western Australia because, mm. you know, obviously there's very close links between us and Australia, and, of course, with the import of the 501s, mm. it has it did introduce a new level of violence without an organisation, that glows, those global networks, right. without a doubt. So we've looked at what they've done. They've passed legislation like that. what we've proposed. It's very, very similar, and it's effective. You've got the police commissioner, you've got the Minister of Police, mm. you've got the Attorney-General all coming out saying that this is effective, that we are using it, and it's putting enormous pressure on the gangs. So, so what to, part to is effective point, in Western to, to the point where gangs now are coming out publicly and saying it's just too tough for us, and, um, and they're moving across the borders and into uh, other states. What, what part is effective in Western Australia? Well, the non-consorting um, has, has been very effective for them. The dispersal notices, right. they've used the dispersal notices at several gang gatherings so they can actually go in there and literally disperse them and tell them, mm. you have to go away, you can't come together again for another seven days. Do you days. think gangs in New Zealand gave back their firearms in the, in the gun buyback? 
No, they didn't. The, um, so so why, why, would they, why would they follow this law? If the police say, don't get together with your mates, why would someone who's prepared to become a ganged, uh, a patched gang member follow that? Well, if the, if the police, if there's, a, um, if there's a gathering of gang members, a public gathering of gang members, mm. and the police turn up and they say, they put, drop a dispersal notice on them, or, or they can mm. deliver it verbally, and they fail to comply, then they can arrest them. OK, so 250 bikers making their way to a funeral, for example. How many police would you need to break that up? Well, I mean, you know... So how, many, how many police would so you need in, for in that? In reality, well, you, that's a very opera operational question, but I would, what I would do, and it's very effective, is set up a checkpoint, right. stop them all, find a place in, on the road where you can pull them all over, and then start going through them. Okay. Make sure the vehicles are registered. Make sure they've got... The, the, there's but no you've got the non-consorting rule, so two, 250, sure they're not allowed to be out in public, 250 patch gang members in public, your law so says that, they're, not allowed, they're yep. not allowed patches. How do you break that up? So in that scenario, they can verbally tell all of those gang members that they're dispersed now, they can go home, they can go to the beach, they can do what they want, mm. they're not to come back together. And what and, if, how many police are you going to need to enforce that? If 250 gang members say, actually, we think we will continue to hang out, well, you we, know we are going to continue as, to as, as many, as many police As many police as it takes, Jack, because this is the so whole... Ha, so how many? For, for a group of 250, which is what we see sometimes for a, for a gang so, funeral, So, for so this is the whole problem in terms of where we've reached as a country, is that we're saying that it's just too hard and we're going to allow 250... No, 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 I'm just asking to... for the detail. So, so 250 gang members, I mean, this, yep. this is your policy, so, so how many police would you need to break so up that two, sort of with event? With 250 gang members, you could... Um, I mean, it's an operational thing, so the police would have to say, but in my view, mm. um, you could set up a very robust checkpoint with um, 30 police officers, right. whereby you control... So 30 police officers get, get are going to be able to tell 250 gang members, you, you, don't hang out anymore, take off your gang patches, and you think that the gang is going to listen if, to them. If you, if you stop, if you stop the, the gangs, and, and by the way, part of the problem is, is that they're not... That they're, mm. They've become so, it's such a permissive environment for them that they're operating with impunity, and that's why we're giving the police the tools that they need so they can actually clamp down on them. Because well, I'm, the, I'm not sure that you've explained in that scenario no, no, how so, it would so, work. So let me finish the scenario mm. then is that yes, you could definitely set up a, a very robust checkpoint to pull mm. the gangs over to the side of the road to start to go through them. In fact, this happened in my, um, my electorate only a matter of couple of weeks ago, right. check warrants, check registrations, seize any stolen vehicles or mm. vehicles that aren't roadworthy. And at the same time, you put a, 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 that you apply a dispersal notice, and that means from that point forward, they have to disperse. Right. If they choose not to disperse, then you would have arrest teams there, and you would arrest the, the, um, the gang members that choose to ignore the order. And by the way, the police would enforce that. They need to enforce that because we are tired as a country mm. of having gang members come out and take over public roads in public spaces right. and operate with impunity, and that's why now, we put these. Um, that's why we propose these uh, uh, laws. I was asking you about the evidence on which your proposals are based. So, yep. uh, in April, this was published: "Making Gang Laws in a Panic" yep. by the Law Foundation, yep. which is a, a report that looks at all of the gang laws that have been introduced in New Zealand over the last 30 years, mm -hmm. compares them with the laws in Australia yes. that you've referenced. Have you read this? Yes, I have. What were your main takeaways? So, my main takeaways from that is, and, and they primarily focused on, on legislation that was passed back in the late 90s, and in the report itself... And the Australian yep, rules, yep. yeah. And, and in, the, in the report itself, it said, you know what, some of those laws did work, some of them didn't. Um, it highlighted the fact that a lot of the issues that people raised about the concern around these laws never eventuated. Um, so, you know, so, that, so the laws were actually OK. It, it, um, said, it said that a lot of the laws didn't work as... It said the majority of the laws didn't work no, as I, promised. I, I think of the five laws that they or six laws they spoke to, three had been effective, 
and three had been less effective. There are um, many, many more than that included in the report. I'm just going to read you a line here. Policies made in the heat of the moment in the absence of careful reflection are likely to be flawed. But I wanted to reference the Australian let, let laws. Me be, let me be clear. These, these, our laws are not made in the heat of the moment. We've been, we've been doing a lot of work right. on this for months and, um, and we've studied very closely at how effective they are in Western Australia. Okay. And, and they are effective. So, these are well, so, so you, you're bringing up Western Australia and, and across Australia there are more than 70 laws that have been introduced. So I'm going to read to you another line from this report, which is very timely, just published in, in yep. April by the Law Foundation. There is an argument that the laws in Australia have just moved the problems around rather than fixing them, with suggestions that such measures have simply driven gangs further underground, making investigation and infiltration of organised crime more difficult. It's not clear that Australia's laws have been linked to reductions in overall organised crime or violent offences. You see, I, I just don't agree with the fact that we're going to allow gang members to continue to take over our roads. But this is, this gonna, is, this is the evidence, though. This is the, we're actually looking at the well, effectiveness I, of these reports. Well, the, 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 the report itself had mixed reports in terms of, like I said... I mean, that's, some, that's some, pretty straightforward, right? These are the Australian laws on which you're basing your, th your laws in the midst of what is absolutely understandable concern over the violence in our streets. I don't think anyone is disputing that. But this makes it pretty clear that actually That's Australia... Not, that, that report's not talking to our laws. Our, our, the laws so this we, is with direct reference to the Australian laws that you are referencing. No, the, 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 this report here is... Page not, 44, we can look it up. Yep, absolutely do that. The, this report is not talking to or not reporting on the laws that we have used from Western Australia. The laws in Western Australia um, were only recently passed and they are effective and they've been shown to be effective and you've got the police Commissioner, you've got the Attorney General and you've got the Minister of Police in Western Australia saying that they are effective and mm. they are working and the reason why we've introduced these laws is because we're tired of the way that gangs are working with impunity. We have to give our police more powers to be able to deal with that. These are good powers. They do work. They are based on, on um, the success that the Western Australian police are having and we hope that our police pick these up and they actually start to stop 23 drive-by shootings occurring in the space of two weeks. Is it legal under the Bill of Rights? Well, you, they, none of this legislation has had Bill of Rights uh, reports done on it yet. Shouldn't, um, you, shouldn't you be doing that before you but, introduce but it's, a... It's, it's, it's quite, this is quite simply our position on it. Is well, it? I mean, I know what your position is, but I mean, I think of the, the, the gang patch ban in Whanganui, for example, that was ruled by the High Court at the time to be illegal. And if you, uh, I mean, look at, what, Section 14 of the Bill of Rights, everyone has the right to freedom of expression. I would have thought that we're well, in a gang I, patch I, I, I personally, I personally um, shepherd a bill through Parliament that, um, gang, uh, that banned gang patches in hospitals and schools mm. and um, government buildings. And the police this goes a lot further though, this would be everywhere goes, in public. Absolutely, it goes a lot and further. And so you haven't, you haven't had any sort of Bill of Rights assessment. What, well, what about funding for police? Because well, the, you said that you on need... The, on the Bill of Rights it's as simple as this Jack, is that gang members steamroll and trample over the rights of everyday Kiwis mm. on a daily basis. They put them in enormous harm, they're discharging high powered military rifles mm. through people's homes. And actually, if they continue to act like that, mm. then they're going to have to understand that there's going to be some tough legislation that may impinge on some of their rights. The best way that they can respond and react to that is quite simply this. Leave the gang. So, so Get you, your families you, out of the gang and rejoin society. You'd introduce laws that would impinge on the Bill of Rights? Well, we'll have to wait and see. But, um, well, that's it, what you've just said. Well, a, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And, and by the way... Any more funding for police uh, for this? Because, uh, I mean, if you have 8,000 patch gang members in New Zealand, you're going to ban them all from wearing patches in public. You're going to stop them from gathering, which, I mean, these are all big proposals. That, well, how how much more funding for so. police? It's <laughs> a perfect world, bro. I hope that that happens. Mm. I hope that members of the public... How, how much more funding for police? I hope that police? members are just, just responding 
responding to your comments, mm. I hope that people don't have to go out and see and, and be confronted with gang members with um, gang patches on. Um, I hope that they don't have to go out and so, be... So how much funding in, um, for police would in, you... In, in big gatherings of gang members who intimidate and take over the roads. We all agree. Mark, um, how much funding would you, will you be providing police to enforce these well, big changes? We'll be committed to making sure that we fund a police service that can get out and actually do their job. And by the way, we'll get out and back them because at the moment they're right. not feeling backed. They're feeling like they're doing their job with one hand tied behind their okay. back. Um, and, and we're going to make sure that we reverse that when we're in government. All right. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks we for having me. appreciate it. National's police spokesperson, Mark Mitchell. After the break, a former child abuse detective says she's worried the government's Oranga Tamariki reforms could end up increasing instances of child abuse in New Zealand. Kia ora, welcome back to Q&A. As a lawyer and former detective, Child Matters CEO Jane Searle has dedicated much of her career to fighting child abuse in Aotearoa. But as the government reforms Oranga Tamariki, she's concerned that proposals could lead to an increase in child abuse in New Zealand. Tomorrow, the select committee overseeing the reform will present its recommendations to Parliament. And Jane Searle is with us this morning. Kia ora, good morning. Good morning. I wonder if we could start with the big picture. So we're in June 2022. When it comes to preventing and identifying child abuse in New Zealand and then protecting the victims of child abuse in New Zealand, how do we rate? We don't rate well at all, actually. So the population of people under 18 in this country is 1.2 million and we're not protecting them well at all. So and um, last year, leading, finishing December last year, Oranga Tamariki took 71,000 reports of concern. Now we know that is just the tip of the iceberg, so that's just reported complaints um, or concerns about children. So on, on world standings, we don't do well at all, Jack. What are the big drivers of abuse in New Zealand? Well, when you think that we have a mental health system that's not coping, we have high rates of methamphetamine, uh, methamphetamine use, we have um, homelessness and poverty rising, and all of that under the shadow of pandemic. So all of that means that our vulnerable people are most at risk, and that is the people in the disabled community, our elderly, and particularly our children and young people. So all of that has an effect, and I personally think we have yet to see what the effects of the pandemic will mm. be. There have been a massive focus in the last couple of years on the Oranga Tamariki uplifts, and when uplifts might or might not be an appropriate uh, response to suspected child abuse in New Zealand. What change has been achieved over the last couple of years in that space? There has been a lot talked about and we've had reviews and we had uh, the last one in September of last year all had good recommendations but we have lots of reports gathering dust in Wellington to be honest um, the government have said that they're um, going to accept all the recommendations from the review mm. but Jack I know frontline social workers who have said that nothing has changed in the last 15 years because the only thing that matters is not the statistics the statistics tell half the story the only thing that counts is what actually happens in the homes of our most at risk families mm. and what's happening to our most at risk children you personally have worked in a variety of roles. You've had a very interesting career, and, and, and one of those roles was, was as a child abuse detective in the New Zealand Police. What did that experience teach you about abuse in New Zealand? I think two main things, that abuse is so much more widespread than people think. People think that it sits in certain populations or certain communities, and it doesn't. It's in every community in New Zealand is touched by this issue. And the second thing is I learnt that the trauma that people have from um, 
uh, child abuse stays with them a lifetime. And the effects on them and their family and whānau and their community goes on for that lifetime. Mm. So this is a huge social issue. Yeah, this is interesting, right? The previous interview, we're obviously focusing a lot on gang violence in New Zealand. Would it be reasonable to assert that many of those people who find themselves entrenched in gangs in New Zealand come from a background where they have experienced or been survivors of abuse? I think that there's no doubt that people that suffer trauma can get drawn into substance abuse, um, crime, gang. Mm. There is no doubt about that, in my view. What are your concerns about the Oranga Tamariki reforms? I think that we have had the Office of the Children's Commissioner for almost 31 years. We've had eight children's commissioners. They were all chosen for their professional experience and expertise and for the ability to be strong advocates for children. And now we're going to take that away or, or dismantle that essentially and replace it with a, essentially another government department. So there is huge concern across frontline organisations as to the effect of that. Just unpack that for us a little bit more because you have said that you're concerned if the reforms pass in their current form, and we know that the Select Committee will be reporting back to the Parliament tomorrow, that instances of child abuse in New Zealand will increase. That's right. Why is that? So, just to unpack that, the Office of the Children's Commissioner is the most vocal and most publicly known mm. advocate um, for children in this country. Uh, they've helped influence uh, legislation and policy change and brought uh, through reports uh, a focus on really important issues. If we take that away from the public view, then we will have less public consciousness of what's happening. Therefore, politicians will put less focus on it, particularly coming into election years. And then we'll have re less resource and um, uh, policy around it. And this is a time where we need to increase resource and uh, strengthen our policy and legislation, not the opposite. I, I know a lot of people share your view and, and a lot of the feedback through the select committee process uh, express, express concern about the proposed changes to the Office of the Children's Commissioner. Yeah. Why was that proposed? What, is, there a, is there a sentiment within the sector? Well, I'm trying not to be a cynic, Jack. Please, but, be a cynic. But, but there's, there's two views that are widely expressed. And one is that we have um, an election year coming next year and that to have the Office of the Children's Commissioner, who is a vocal critic and a good, a good public platform, the biggest public platform on these issues, mm. um, that it may be useful not to have that coming into the election year. The other one is that we have the final report from the Royal Commission coming out in June of next year. And it could be that government wants to front foot that. Personally, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Let's talk about this a bit more, because I think about the previous Children's Commissioner, Judge Andrew Beecroft. He was frequently outspoken in his criticisms of the system, and sometimes those criticisms were of the government. Within the sector, is there a sense that his public criticisms contributed to the proposal to effectively scrap that Children's Commissioner role. There's absolutely a sense of that. And I think that, you know, there was over 300 submissions made to the Select Committee, and my understanding is nearly all of them were against the bill in its current form, and all of them were supported of, supportive of the Office of the Children's Commissioner. What we should be doing is strengthening that and giving it more resource and more ability to, to monitor, rather than dismantle it. Mm. Um, and it is confusing as to why that is happening and why it is happening now. Speak to us a little bit more about the timing, because as you say, the Royal Commission of Inquiry into Abuse and State Care is ongoing at this stage. Should we even be debating this bill right now, or should we be waiting until the Royal Commission has been completed? Absolutely, we should be waiting. So we only got to need to wait till June of next year. We know that monitoring and the um, increased need for more monitoring will be covered in that. We should be waiting for that. We have waited years for this report, um, for the final report from the Royal Commission. There has been so much time and resource and evidence that goes into that. We would definitely wait for that before we make any further decisions. That's despite the, the concern you expressed in your first answer to me about the state 
of abuse and response to abuse in New Zealand. But we already have some systems in place and, and so if there's so much more that we could focus on at the mm. moment, there's so much more we could do in Oranga Tamariki, um, responses of government agencies, resourcing of community organisations, why would we take the office of the Children's Commissioner and deal with that and focus on that and put time and resource into that when that's not what any of the frontline workers were asking for. From your experience and from looking at this bill, how is it likely to be supported or opposed by political parties? I think that we've had little, very little spoken from, um, from political parties. Most of the concern has been shown by organisations who are working frontline. Mm. And the voice of frontline workers is very important to hear in this because they're the ones that actually see the effects of this legislation. And um, as yet, there has been little, very little said from either of the political parties about it. Mm. Mm. How does this work affect you? Personally? Well, I work with a fantastic team, all mm. experts in their own field in child protection, and to be honest, there's so much to be done. It's about giving a voice to those that don't have a voice, mm. and it's about ensuring that New Zealand is one of the leaders in this. We should not, a country the size of ours, be um, have statistics the way that we do. We, I refuse to accept that we can't do better. Some of these, some things that are easy fixes, you know, legislation for compulsory training for teachers and professionals so they know how to identify and respond. Other countries around the world have this successfully implemented for years. There's some easy ones that we can get, um, but there's things that are harder, that take mm. a long time. But uh, as I said, I refuse to believe New Zealand can't do better for our children. All right, Jane. Thank you very much for your time. Yes. Jane Searle is the CEO of Child Matters. If you want to contact the Q&A team, please call it or my. These are our main platforms. You can hit us up on email. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. Coming up, Willie, won't he? And what's the point in being such a tease? We try to get a straight answer from MP Paul Eagle. Is he or isn't he running for mayor? Hokimai, welcome back to Q&A. With only a few candidates declared, the Wellington mayoral race is wide open, but rumours about Rongotai MP Paul Eagle continue to swirl, and Fina Owen was determined to get a commitment from him either way. Wellington has had its challenges recently, so there's heightened interest in who will lead the city. Incumbent Mayor Andy Foster hasn't declared, but he has a habit of leaving it till the last minute. The Greens are endorsing former Green Party Chief of Staff Tori Whānau. But ask anyone on the street who's standing. Paul Eagle's in there somewhere. You know? Oh, yeah. he hasn't, he hasn't um, oh, confirmed okay. anything. Oh, right, eh? yeah. Yeah, just a rumour, I suppose, but hey, that's the rumour. What's the rumour? That uh, our man over there. Oh, you talk, you're pointing to Paul Eagle's office? Yes. That, that's the rumour that well, he's running for there. Well, it's a rumour. But it raises a lot of questions. Has he talked it over with his boss? Will he be running on a Labour ticket? Now listen. Who is stepping out? I'm going to turn around. Paul Eagle has held the Rongatai seat since 2017, when Annette King moved on. Since then, Labour's majority in the electorate has slipped, but it's still considered a safe Labour seat. Before central politics, Eagle was a Wellington City Councillor and Deputy Mayor to Justin Lester. So is he now after Wellington's top job? Kia ora, and thanks for calling the office of Paul Eagle MP. It's Ethan with Brian. Oh, hi, Brian. Um, 
O'Brien reinforces Paul Eagle's commitment to Rongatai and says, I'm the third mayoralty inquiry that day. I get half a dozen of those questions each and every day. They all get exactly the same answer as you, I'm afraid. We just can't comment on that. Why don't they just say, yes, he is running, no, he's not running? Let's go find him. But over in Newtown, his electorate office is all boarded up. Hello, I'm just asking about your neighbour, Paul Eagle, the office. And the building is doing the renovation or restrengthening. Oh, for the earthquake restrengthening? Yes, I think so. Okay, I might have to go to Parliament. Yes. <laughs> Parliament is sitting today, so we will find him here and finally get these rumours sorted out. I'm hoping to get Paul Eagle as he comes out of the house. But the MP for Rongatai is nowhere to be seen. Then a tip-off from one of his constituents. A few days ago, residents in the Rongatai electorate received this in their letterbox. It's an invitation from their MP, Paul Eagle, to drop in and meet him tonight at a community centre if they have any questions. I have a question. <laughs> Eagle's holding his meeting next door, but I've heard he's in with the guys playing darts at Wellington Darts Club. So we'll see if we can find him. Is he there? Can you see him? Yeah, he's there. I'll ask him. Excuse me, Paul. Hi. Hi, hello. Yes, Benna Owen from QA. You found Yeah, I'm actually, I have been. I've been leaving messages for you. I want to know. Yeah. There are all these rumours around town. Have you heard them? No. What are they saying? That you are running for mayor. Oh, no. The only thing running is the water down the streets of Wellington from burst pipes and things like that. It sounds like you want to uh, repair <laughs> that. You want to get that sorted. I want to fix it, put it that way. Can you fix it as, um, <laughs> as the MP for Rongatai? I could. Or I might be able to fix it from another role. Tell, uh, say it now, you know, because people are sick. I'm, I'm getting bored with it. No, watch the space, but I've got a lot to do as the member for Rongatai. Because it's a big deal. People are interested in who their mayor is going to be. And not only that, if it's going to be you, it will trigger a by-election. Well, look, there would be by-election for any MP that stands for mayor. Uh, but look, I'm not ready to announce. I'm not ready to announce... If you were mayor, how would you fix it? How could you do a better job? Well, one of the things is that I'd embrace the people of Wellington and get the answers from them because I know uh, they've got the answers. They just want to be included on the solution. While the MP for Rongatai has his eyes on his target, Q&A is out of here. Well, that's frustrating. No clearer ahead on whether he's going to run for mayor or not. Wink, wink, wink. That's Fina Owen. After the break on Q&A, with less than a week until the Tauranga by-election, we've got poll numbers that might surprise you. This time next week, Tauranga will have a new MP. After Simon Bridges stood down from Parliament, candidates have been campaigning to replace him in what's been a national seat since 2005. Polls in Tauranga opened last weekend and closed next Saturday. And this morning we can share the results of a Q&A Kantar poll for you. National candidate Sam Uffendell is well ahead with 45% support. Labour candidate 
Jan Tanetti is 10 points behind him on 35%. That's a larger gap than at the 2020 election when she was four percentage points behind Simon Bridges. And ACT candidate Cameron Luxton comes in third with 7% support. Now, so you know, the poll covered 500 eligible voters with online and face-to-face -face questions. The sampling error is a maximum 4.4% at 95% confidence level and 24% of the people polled either wouldn't say who they support, don't know or don't plan to vote. But we will publish the full analysis online. These numbers show a tighter race than the News Hub Nation Read Research poll released last week. Still, if the numbers are right, Sam Uffendell will be Tauranga's next MP. So I went to Tauranga's wonderful Clarence Hotel and I sat down with him, Jan Tanetti and Cameron Luxton for their final pitch. And I began by asking Sam if he thinks the race is tightening. Look, I'm just getting out there and working as hard as I can. There's been a couple of polls and I'm not reading too much into them. You know, the only poll that's important for me is the one that's on June the 18th. That's why I'm out every day knocking on doors, talking to people and trying to get them out to vote for me. National has held the seat since 2005, but I think you'd all agree Tauranga has its fair share of issues to deal with at the moment. So I wonder what will distinguish you from previous national MPs in this electorate? Well, I'm out there working hard and talking to people. I'm going to listen hard to what they have to say. They're talking a lot about transport, a lot about infrastructure, a lot about the cost of living, a lot about crime and gangs, and those are the issues I'm going to work tirelessly on down in Wellington and here in Tauranga. So did Simon Bridges not work tirelessly on He sure on did, those? he sure did, so and I'm going to keep So what will distinguish you then? Well, you know, I've been overseas and worked hard over there. I, I own and direct a small business, and I'm going to take those skills into it. Jan... Why are you losing? Actually, we're really realistic as Labour around the Tauranga seat. We haven't held this seat since 1935. To take it now would be a big ask. But to be within Kui of where we landed in 2020 is pretty exciting. And I saw the poll results today, and I'm a bit like Sam. I don't take a lot in store by them. I keep working every single day uh, in this by-election to connect with the voters. But I did see them and think, well, you know, we, we're doing OK. We're doing OK. Our messages are resonating. It sounds like you're expecting to lose. I'm never expecting to lose. I don't go into any race to come second, what, what but I'm realistic. Realistic, mean, realistic means that it's a big battle to win a seat that a party hasn't won since 1935. Having said that, the demographic in Tauranga is changing and the mood in Tauranga is changing. So I've always said that we're on a journey here as Labour and to take this seat, and we will one day. When? Well, who knows? It might be in a week's time. <laughs> If you're being realistic? Uh, I am realistic about it. I think that is a, a big ask, mm. but uh, I think we're doing OK and our messages are resonating. Cameron, I think of the three candidates here, you have been campaigning the longest. So why aren't you doing a bit better? Well, I'm doing way better than I was in 2020. Doubled, according to your poll, doubled on the 2020 vote. And I think that shows that Tauranga is actually open to a change. And they need a real change because, as you've said, this seat's been held by one party for the majority of the last 90 years. And what have we got out of that? We had a Minister of Transport as our local MP for six years, and our roading and infrastructure is one of the biggest problems we face. I think Tauranga needs to be respected. And if we're going to be respected, we've got to respect ourselves. And to respect ourselves, we have to use our vote in a way that would actually lead to someone who represents us. You know, I'm from here. 
I've got a business here, of my family here, I was raised here, and I really care about Tauranga, and that's coming through when I'm talking to people, they're understanding that, and the more people I meet, the higher my vote is getting. Okay, let's talk a little bit more then about the issues that are facing Tauranga right now. And I wondered if each of you can identify for me what you think is the single biggest issue for voters in this electorate, and what you would do about it. And Sam, I'll start with you. I think it's transport. I think people spend far too much time in their cars here, you know. We've got a city of 155,000 people and yet people are in gridlock. Um, that's not really acceptable. They're not spending enough time with their loved ones. We've also got the biggest port in the country here, so having good transport infrastructure is really, really important. Not just for the city, but for the country. So as a local MP, what would you do? Well, I'll be working very hard, and if I do get in, I'll be pushing my uh, caucus colleagues hard to make sure they recognise that we need infrastructure investment here. So we've already committed to the Takatimu Northern Link all the way to Omokaroa, stages one and two. We've got State Highway 29 that brings all of the freight over the Kaimais. We need to make sure that is fully funded and there is opportunity to build houses off the back of that once that infrastructure is in place. As Cameron mentioned, your former MP here was also the Transport Minister. He's been here for a long time. So why does Tauranga have such problems with gridlock? Look, I think we've been a small city and been looked at that way for a while and probably didn't get the investment we needed. Even from your own minister? Well, he had fully funded and put out to tender the Takatimu Northern Link and we know that that was scrapped, unfortunately, because that would have also opened up a lot of housing development opportunities out of Omokaroa. Look, we've recommitted to that and we'll be recommitting to other transport infrastructure projects getting up to next year's general election. We know that this is the fastest growing city in the country. Um, growth is coming here, but we need to make sure we do it in a way that's sustainable and retains the unique beauty of this great city. Jan, biggest issue and what you do about it? So the biggest issue that Tauranga faces is that it has grown super fast and in that time many pressures have come on board because there hasn't been a joined up approach to what that growth will look like. Infrastructure is part of it but also identity is part of it and people feeling a sense of belonging within the city is part of it. Uh, there's some great initiatives that are happening. There's been the smart growth initiative that has brought all the, the local bodies together in the sub-region around what that's going to look like. Uh, now it's really good because central government are sitting as part of that smart growth team enabling that planning to go ahead and that's really important uh, and also looking at the infrastructure needs and we are investing in the city like no government has invested before and that's a really important fact because we're getting traction on the ground now that no government has been are able to get. Are you flat-footed though? You've been in power since 2017. I don't believe that we are. I believe that it's listening to those needs and that plan has to be there first and foremost. We have to make certain that the plan is strong and that's what central government has made sure by coming onto the smart growth team. But there's, it's bigger than that. It's making certain, as I've said, that all people in this city have that sense of belonging and know that this is their home and their sense of identity is strong within the city. And I think that for me that's what I'm continuing to do is to get out there and have those discussions mm -hmm. to make sure that all perspectives are at the table when we have those discussions in Wellington. The biggest issue for Tauranga and what Cameron Luxton, the MP, would do about it. Look, infrastructure is the core of this problem. We've got traffic issues and we've got a shortage of housing. You know, our house prices are going through the roof and people can't afford to get into their first home and can't afford to stay in homes where they're renting because we have a shortage. 
And this is because central government collects all the taxes in this country and the existing ratepayers have to pay for new development. You know, as a builder, I know how hard it is to actually get councils to sign off on new developments. So ACT's proposed a GST sharing scheme between central and local governments. So all the uh, consents which are signed off by local authorities half the GST spent on that would go back to them and that would go through and fund infrastructure that these houses need and actually get things built. And another thing that we would do is a nation building authority to really focus on getting infrastructure built on a 30 year time frame instead of these political promises which always fall through with a change of government. We saw it with Takatimu Northern Link, we saw it with you know the cycle bridge in Auckland which is where the money went and got spent that should have been spent on that. We're not going to promise that we're going to build specific infrastructure. We're going to promise a rational way of funding infrastructure in New Zealand and Tauranga. Right. You know, we're an important part of the upper central North Island. You know, we've got this beautiful port here, which is providing to the GDP of the entire country. We need to be taken seriously and we need to have the infrastructure to reflect the important part that we play in New Zealand. I know that law and order is a concern to many Tauranga voters. Jan, according to the national gang list, gang memberships increased 37% in Bay of Plenty since 2017. And that's on your government's watch. Why has it increased so much and what will you do about it? Well, interestingly enough, I've been speaking to local police around this, this particular issue, around why those figures have increased. And definitely there's been an issue with the 501s coming back and Tauranga being a wonderful place to live. We think it's a wonderful place to live and so do people from other demographics as well. So there has been that issue that has happened. Uh, but at the same time, what that does is it makes other gangs feel a bit threatened and so they are trying to increase their numbers as the, the 501s are starting to increase. And so what needs to happen around that? Of course there needs to be consequences for uh, people that muck up and break the law and there needs to be specifically targeted consequences around uh, gangs and and so, we're so working through people, that. What, what would you so do about so it? I will be taking those perspectives back to Wellington to have that conversation at the table. But it's more than that. We also have to have a long-term solution. We have to have an all of government, all of community approach to this because we cannot be having this conversation in another 50 years and saying gangs have been around for that amount of time. We need to actually crack this nut now. And so I'm determined to look at an all of government, all of community approach and bring the community groups together here in Tauranga to have that discussion. Sam, you're already promising a members bill on this front that would fine gang members for cruising through Tauranga. And I want to put to you some comments from gang expert Dr Jared Gilbert. He told the Herald that he gives the chances of such a bill making it into law, quote, about the same as getting a metre of snow on Mount Monganui. And he said there has been a plethora of similar bills introduced over the last 50 years that have come to nothing. Even when they've been passed into law, they've been utterly ineffectual. So if the experts say that yours is a stupid idea, why would you push ahead with it? I don't agree with him on that. Uh, we've had feedback from former gang members that this would be a good thing. When I go and talk to people, you know, around... around oh, did we really want feedback from former gang members? I mean, we've got it from both parties now, don't we? I mean, giving money to the gangs and getting advice on how to police gangs from the gangs. Mate, they reached out to us and said, this is a good idea. And they told Jan that Tauranga is just a lovely place to live. Look, I what mean... this comes down to is we've got a port in the centre of our city, which is an importation hub for drugs. It's not, you know, yes, it's a lovely place to live and that's why they want to live here, but really they're trying to create dominance here so that they can control the importation So what of do you drugs. do about it? Look, we need to make sure that when we are policing our borders, we've got properly staffed and we've got proper equipment. I mean, 
you know, we see the, the customs officers driving around, they, you know, little cars, you know, we've got to intimidate them back with bigger cars for customs officers. The fact that these bigger guys... Cars? Look, bigger cars? Yeah, mate, look, I'll tell bigger you what, cars? you've got to look at, you've got to play in this world, right? Are we actually going to stand up against them, or are we just going to be soft on this? I'm the only candidate here who's put forward anything to tackle gangs, you know, and, and it's not just the fine, it's impounding their bikes. That's gang not members, the case at all. Gang members right? walking around going, brum, brum, isn't that scary, you know? I've walked around Mount Maunganui, people go around there with families, these convoys go through and they intimidate people. They were doing it the other day, the cops came along, the gangs blocked them off and the guys just honed off. You know, it's unacceptable and we need to make sure our roads are for law-abiding New Zealanders, not gang members. I think you hit on something before, Jan, and that you said people move to Bay of Plenty, they move to Tauranga, they like living in Tauranga because of the, the quality of life that people experience here, but between the cost of housing and the cost of living at the moment, it's pretty tough getting by. Is there something that one of you would do as a local MP that would improve the quality of life and improve the cost of living for people in this electorate? Look, what we need to do is get funding for infrastructure sorted. I mean, I know we banter on about infrastructure, but it's such an important thing for the way we live our lives. Hewlett's Road is a complete disaster in the way that is planned, and we all know it. Talk to the street is just as bad. You know, State Highway 29 going over the Kaimais. How is it that a truck has to burn so much diesel to get over those hills? We just spent $62 million on our COVID response. You know, how much did it cost to build the uh, Waterview Tunnel in Auckland? 1.4 billion, I believe. You know, twice that, we could have got a tunnel under the Kaimais. We've wasted money, it's leading to inflation, we need to address the cost of living and act put forward tax cuts, which would put money in everybody's pockets. Jan. We need to ensure that we've got a really good housing supply in the city, and Kaianga Ora are working to build, uh, to buy land packages to enable that to exactly happen. But exactly what we need to have happen there is to keep that supply going, and that's something that I will be advocating for in Wellington. Look, the biggest issue in New Zealand, and it's no different here in Tauranga, is the cost of living. So we need to make sure that our spending is really targeted. It's not about announcements, not about saying we're throwing X amount of dollars at that. It's got to be outcomes focused. We've got huge bottlenecks in our economy around immigration. We've got a lot of regulatory costs coming on. We've got to pull those off, you know. We've got to reform our RMA and allow things to get done. All right, stay with us. Q&A is back after the break. Kia ora te whanau. welcome back to Q&A. Tauranga will be getting a new local MP, but it won't be getting a new council when local elections are held later this year. In April, local government minister Nanai Mahuta reappointed a board of commissioners to the city council after the elected representatives were sacked following a damning independent review of their performance. It means Tauranga won't have democratically elected representatives until 2024. For our Q&A Kantar poll, we asked Tauranga voters if they supported the reappointment of commissioners in place of the City Council. 41% said they support the move, 34% said they oppose it, and 25% of voters didn't know or refused to say. I asked the Tauranga candidates what they think about the commissioners. So in the past, any central government has failed to get traction here in Tauranga for the infrastructure bill. We've heard from other people that there's such an infrastructure need here in this city. Because of the local demographics that we've had and the, and the issues that we've had with council, it's been flip-flopping the whole time. And since I've been here in 2006, it's been really tough to get that traction. The commissioners have changed that. 
and means that we have confidence. And it's not only us as central government, it's also business has confidence in this city once again. Now, we put an election in this year, there's a risk that all of that confidence will go once again because we've seen a council that can flip-flop over time. We need to make sure that the long-term plan is embedded. We need to make sure that the changes are there. The city is too important to New Zealand to get this wrong. And the minister has said that it will not, we will not go beyond 2024 with the commissioners, so there is a complete and utter end date. We need to make sure that we get the right people standing in 2024. Sam, a plurality of voters in Tauranga support the commissioners remaining in place at this stage. Why do you oppose them? Well, look, we had a dysfunctional council, eh? that's a given, um, and the, the Minister replaced them. And that was to finish this year, uh, and that's been canned. Um, you know, we think people should be able to have their say, and when I talk to people, you know, we've got a lot of uh, senior residents out there on fixed incomes, they're now facing year-on-year -year rate increases of 15%. There's massive projects being announced in Tauranga that'll be put on top of that. Debt will have to be taken out, and they'll have to pay it back. You know, they're scared about that. And they want to be able to, uh, to have a say on these matters, and the only way they can do that is through local elections. Cameron, you oppose the commissioners remaining in place. Why, why are you out of step with the plurality of voters? Look, I mean, democracy is under attack all around the world. If we can't stand up for it in our own local elections and say we deserve to have democracy, then we're, you know, what's going on? If people want to have, and if 41% of people support the commissioners, then the commissioners should have no problem resigning, bringing their program to an election and saying vote for us based on this mandate. And if the people of Tauranga vote in those numbers and that's what's chosen, fantastic. But it's just not right to be having it forced down from above. I'm going to ask each of you this then. Do you have confidence that the voters of Tauranga would elect a competent council at this stage? If you're asking me first, look, the people who elect our government, you know, we're the citizens of New Zealand. Mm. We deserve to have a vote, and I believe in democracy, so whenever... That's not my question. Oh, no, I'm yeah, getting to yeah. it. I believe in democracy, so I'll support whatever the voters say on the day and do better if I lose and govern properly if I win. But when it comes to, to allowing people to vote, we actually have to respect... If we want young people... Come on, to have, answer my oh, question sorry. now. Yeah, no, do, look, yeah. do, do, will the people yeah. of... Do you have faith that the, the voters of Tauranga... Would, would elect a competent council at this stage. <laughs> what has this government done <laughs> to actually reform the way we're, we're running it? I mean, they've delayed our okay, elections. Okay, 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 no, okay, okay, answer the question, answer the yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. Look, the people will vote for what they believe in and they'll get the, uh, the results that they deserve. Jan. I think the councils have been so dysfunctional over so many years that Tauranga doesn't know what a good council looks like. I think they need to see what a good local body group can do, which the commissioners are doing. I think when they see that, then they will have that ability. Well, we, need, we need more competent people to put their hands up. You know, it's no point complaining. If you want to have a better council, please go forward and put your name in. We'd love to have some good candidates in the ring next time. Some excellent sidestepping from all of you there. Well done. Um, Bay of Plenty councillor, or Bay of Plenty regional councillor, Stacey Rose, who represents Tauranga as part of the regional council, has been living in Christchurch and has attracted some criticism for moving to Ōtautahi. Should he resign? Sam? If I become the MP and decide to move down to Dunedin, I'm not sure how well that'll go down with voters here. So um, look, I think the expectation would be if you're a regional councillor, then, then you live in the area, live in that region that you represent. Jan? 
I actually know Stacey quite well and I know that Stacey has been quite public about the mental health issues that he faced when he was here in Tauranga and so I support him in his journey to get back to wellness again and going back to his uh, whenua has been really important to him. I do understand people's qualms about the fact that he's down there but I also think having spoken to Stacey that he's trying to uh, minimise costs of having a by-election uh, for his seat on regional council so I think it's a really hard one to answer given when you look at everything that makes up that issue. Yeah, look, I'm not sure on Stacey's exact uh, circumstances. So, you know, I think what has been said here tonight is perfectly reasonable. If 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 he thinks he can represent the regional Bay of Plenty Council well, then by all means. But again, when it comes to a vote, he may be turfed out if the people don't feel that he has been. I'm going to finish with a challenge for all of you to to prove to us you aren't just party drones. Um, <laughs> What is an issue for which you disagree with your party or wish your party would do more about but isn't at this stage? I, I, I want to give you an opportunity to show to Tauranga voters why they should vote for you personally as their representative. Who wants to go first? I'll take it. Okay. So people have said that the uh, National Party hasn't, hasn't given enough focus into Tauranga over the years, you know, and, and that's been pointed out here again today. So I will work very hard, you know, I, I want to be that champion. I want to so really the get the party So the point of difference is he's actually going to care about Tauranga instead. I will get them pumping money into this. <laughs> and I've had our leader up here, had Nicola Willis here, I've talked to uh, Chris Bishop about it, talked to Simeon Brown about it, all critical people in the, in the National Party. They know how important this is. Okay. They're recognising that. So we're going to get it. Yeah, sometimes I think that people outside of Tauranga, and including in my own party, don't understand the diversity that lives within this city now. And I really want to tell that story about the diversity, and I really want to make certain that all people in Tauranga feel represented by me as their elected MP. OK. Cameron. Look, I mean, it's ACT is a party of good, solid uh, public policy making. It's hard to disagree with anything they say, but you know, I'm a, I've come from a background that's different from a lot of people in, currently in Parliament. You know, I'm a builder and I've been a dairy farmer, and that's the sort of stuff that we need to have in Parliament. So when I get in there, I will actually be creating change that affects people in the real economic world that we are living in, not this, you know, um, this Wellington-centric way we're governing our country at the moment. All right. Cameron Luxton, Jan Tanetti, Sam Uffendel, Tina Koto, thank you very much for your time. Good luck. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Cheers. I really enjoyed that. All the very best to the Tauranga by-election candidates. Kuomotu, that is Q&A for this week. If you're in Tauranga, don't forget to vote before next Saturday. From the Q&A team, thank you for watching. And now, mihi kia koutou, i ngā karere. Thanks for your feedback. Hey te wiki. We'll see you next Sunday at 9am. Q&A is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air.